There are a total of eight books in this most prolific of series, dear listener. The rather industrious Julia Quinn having produced four perfectly handsome heroes and four perfectly beautiful heroines. Yes, perfect indeed. In this episode, your blue stocking hosts find themselves nose deep in the first book of the Bridgerton series, where they discuss Daphne's interiority complex, the realities of diverse joy, and how a Renner tolerance isn't character. Without further ado, Talk of the Turn, The Duke and Us, Episode 2, Bookerton. Dear listeners, I'm Erin. And I'm Elle. And we're two of the over 82 million households that fell deep into the Bridgerton series. And we can't like things in a chill way. In this episode, we're discussing the book The Duke and I by Julia Quinn. And this is the first in an eight-book series. Each book centers on how one of the Bridgerton siblings finds love. The Duke and I is the first in this series, and you guessed it, centers around the love story of Daphne Bridgerton and Simon Bassett. So this book was written in, actually, I saw it was published in January of 2000. So it is 21 years ago at this point. Um, This is by Julia Quinn, who is a white lady, a, I assume, I think, a heterosexual white lady. So it's from that perspective. So it's the the family is, um, you know, in Regency England, and there are some problematic scenes that come up that we will get into in a little bit but we wanted to address that this is now a book that's two decades old with that there's there's a lot of wiggle room (laughs) Um, yeah yeah yeah. that that's really just to give some context we're talking about material that comes from a time with different sensibilities even 20 years ago it feels weird to say yeah but sensibilities have really changed since then Mm -hmm. even with all of the changes that were made in adapting the book to the Netflix series, there are a lot of discussions currently even about how inclusive Bridgerton, the Netflix series, truly is or isn't. It's an ongoing conversation. It's it's ongoing work in finding inclusive media, telling stories in a way that in- includes as many people as possible. And as much as Bridgerton, the Netflix series, has made a lot of progress in that area, it is certainly not perfect. Mm-hmm. And we just wanted to take a minute to not necessarily dive deep into it because I I don't think that either Aaron or myself are the voices for that. Right. And I think that there are so many people who are already having really good in-depth conversations about where Bridgerton doesn't quite meet the line of inclusivity that we're going to link into the show notes. But there are conversations about how there is colorism in Bridgerton, how, you know, the the black people or the people of color who have speaking lines tend to be lighter skinned. And also mm-hmm. how there's featurism where the People of color who have actual lines and, and actual story arcs tend to have more European features. Mm-hmm. And there's also talk of queer baiting in that same sense where there's a very 
And, you know, it doesn't quite make sense why it's in there. It's an adaptation from the book that doesn't have any sort of queer storyline. But in the show, there is an extremely brief and uh, not at all fleshed out bit where Benedict goes to an artist friend's house and finds out that that artist friend is queer Mm -hmm. and then just gets weirded out by it. And then nothing happens from that, at least in season one. Right. I've been very vocal. Aaron knows this, (laughs) that (laughs) if Benedict does not get like a bi storyline at minimum... Mm-hmm. If he does not have a queer romance, or at least like ends up in a thruple, I will be very upset because <laughs> I don't care. Benedict is at minimum by. Definitely, <laughs> that is maybe my my head canon, but it's canon. So yeah, well, and and that scene, so that scene that we're referring to is briefly when Benedict is. It's one of the I can think two times he goes to that character's house, and mm-hmm. the first time it's like a paint night. Which is very yeah, they're, cute. They're, they're having they're having a sip and paint yeah <laughs> which i really love because like yeah. he goes in and the guy's like well you know have at it and he already has a little easel set up for him and yes. i just thought that was very sweet. so welcoming his friend yes. I, like i was like i need a friend like this because you know <laughs> art is a hobby of mine i love to draw i love to paint i wish i had a friend that was like come over to my house i'm gonna have live models for us to figure draw because mm-hmm. that is, I pay good money to go figure drawing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you have to pay people a lot of money to stand nude for a while. Because that's hard. Standing nude in one pose for 30 oh, minutes, yeah. is, it sucks for people. Yeah, so, I have a friend, Chris, my friend Krista, who, um, if you're hearing this, Krista, hi Krista. Um, <laughs> she would, she did figure modeling at um, the community college, which is like right down the road from me. And between her library job and her figure modeling job, she would come to my house and take a shower and get into like comfy clothes yeah. and then go over there. So I was like her halfway point before she figured modeled. So that's hey, my you, only, you know, yeah. way into it. And you it. can make good money doing that. But if, if you yeah. have a friend who's going to set that up for you, that's a good friend to have. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, like you're right. Like, so he shows up and he goes to this party. He invites him over to this really cool, like, just kind of do what you want. Yeah. Like, we're all adults here party. There's drugs. Yeah. There's just. <laughs> everything you could want mm-hmm. and benedict accidentally walks into his friend in the middle of passion with a- another man that they they know an acquaintance mm-hmm. <laughs> and it turns out that they're actually in love with each other yeah but they can't be seen at all yeah they can't even like knowledge each other basically in, in front of anybody else yeah so it's framed it's like almost framed at first in this like hedonistic way yeah you know oh this guy's gay because he's like immoral or whatever but then i do appreciate there's a tiny conversation that they have at a party where you know he brings it up to benedict and benedict kind of is politely like well, I don't know what you mean. I didn't see anything, which is code for like, you know, I'll be discreet about your love affairs, whatever. But then the guy says, gosh, it's, I really wish I could remember that character's name. Like Thomas something. I can't remember. He's the, he's an artist though. But, and, but uh, here's the thing. Here's the thing though. The fact that we can't remember his name means he was, <laughs> right. Means he was just screaming. shows how in, inconsequential yeah. that character actually was in the story which is point. is part of the problem with yeah with the way that they treated that yeah yeah no exactly so they like nod to it but there's mm-hmm. not a real like exploration and there's nothing other than yeah other than it makes like benedict wonder i guess yeah. and, that's and i'm kind of i am where we're left. sincerely hoping it plants a seed yeah <laughs> and benedict's like well maybe other things are possible yeah because honestly his his book is kind of whatever it'd be better if he was by that's yeah, all i'm saying it really would be <laughs> I'm excited but, to see what they do with his season because his book is kind of a snoozer. 
Yeah, exactly. But yeah, so the book, the TV show, I see them as progress, not perfection. Mm-hmm. I think it is worth listening to all the conversations that are happening and thinking about these things critically because it's it's how we can initiate change. Yeah. It's how we can figure out how to be better in the future. Yeah. Yeah, I think there's always an issue of accessibility with with art and even with something that you're making that's consumable. There's a bottom line that this production has to meet. That is not an excuse, I think, for cutting things out or putting things in or whatever. But I think there is a very fine line that people have to toe when it comes to putting out stories. And if this is accessible to a huge audience, which it is, I mean, Mm -hmm. at this point, it still is like the number one you know, most viewed Netflix show or whatever. I think that would we like to see more conversations about, you you know, queer identity or um, have more main characters with people of color or like, you know, conversations about race in general and that. Yeah, definitely. I mean, from, from our perspective, for sure. But like, it's, I don't know. Sometimes it's like the yeah. wider audience. That's it's really hard. And that's the thing. You can very easily lose hold of what the story is and what the story should be yeah. about trying to make it too many things at once. Right. So there is there's that element to it. Like you said right. there's there's a certain economy to you're making a product. Yeah. And there's an economy when it comes to time and budget, all of that stuff. Yeah. It's really impossible for a singular thing to be all things to all people. Yeah, But the conversations around this are really good. Yeah. And we're going to uh, link to people who are having those conversations and talking about it in a really interesting way. And that, you know, even opened my eyes to stuff that I didn't see myself the first time around or the second time around watching Bridgerton. Definitely. So Elle shared some um, resources with me about these conversations. I knew most of these terms, but like I did not know what featurism was. I think of myself as someone who's pretty well read when it comes to things. But even just that introduction is like, wow, that's that's a conversation that I as a totally white person, I just did not know was going on. But I think at the end of the day, we also hold out hope because this is the first season and Mm -hmm. like maybe the second season will open those doors a little wider and wider and wider as we go on. Um, Yeah. So one of the conversations that was happening was the the lack of Asian representation, Mm -hmm. which very true. There, there is a real lack of any meaningful Asian representation. I think the closest we got was the artist's wife who looked to be of Indian descent, Southeast Asian. Mm -hmm. And she barely had, I can't even remember if she had a line. So, <laughs> so that was yeah. like the most representation yeah, that there minimal. was. Yeah. But we did recently, uh, after that conversation took place, the video that I'm referencing where they had this conversation about the lack of Asian representation, we got an announcement that Simone Ashley, who is Southeast Asian, she is British, but she's of Indian descent, male, I believe. And she is going to be the love interest of Anthony, Kate Sharma. Mm-hmm. She's going to be the main character in the next series because season two if it follows along with the books book two and season two would be about anthony's love story Mm -hmm. so i think i think that shows that the creators of the show are paying attention to the conversations as well and they are looking to improve so i'm i'm very hopeful as aaron said that there's hope that they'll continue evolving and making it you know better yeah Definitely. So I read the book a long, long, long time ago, like maybe 10 or 12 years ago, and I enjoyed it. I was like, I don't know, maybe like three stars, three out of five stars. I was like, 
whatever, this is like a nice book. And then I immediately forgot about it. And then when the show came out, I didn't put two and two together because, as you know, the show is called Bridgerton. And the first book is called The Duke and I. And at the time when I read that book, I didn't even know it was the first in the series. I just thought it was a standalone. Only when I started watching this show and realized that the plot points were very similar <laughs> to a book that I had read, I was like, Wait oh, a minute. Wait, I should look this up. Oh, this guy's a Duke? The Duke and her? The Duke and I? <laughs> the Duke and uh, Daff? <laughs> so, uh, yeah, and I was like super into the show, and like I-, I was like, well, I don't remember being that into the book, but you know, it prompted me to reread it, and also I must say, rereading it with Ray J. Sean Page, <laughs> Ray, I God, I always put a soft you, G you want to call name. him like I because it looks it's like a friend it's like French. I don't know. It just seems like it's a soft G, but it's but, a hard but G. But you make you make me think of Ray J being Simon Bassett, and I don't appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. Right, right. I do not appreciate that thought that you 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 have implanted yeah, we are not into my head. About, yeah, we are not talking about R and B artist Ray J. We are talking about Ray Not I hit it first artist <laughs> Ray J. <laughs> Absolutely not. I came into the the Bridgerton Netflix series completely with no information about the book series. And so I read the book series after having watched the show and just wanting to kind of stay in it. I had these characters that I love so much, you know, not only Daphne and Simon, but all of the family and the side characters. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to know more about what happened to them. So I was like, you know what, let me pick up this, this book. Because I want to know now. I'm curious. I want the hot goss. <laughs> yeah. I do think that with the canon of the series in my head, I feel like it made the book a better experience. Yeah. Because I had kind of these set ideas and images of who these people were in my head. Yeah. So the the main characters in the book are really the Bridgerton family with emphasis on Daphne, mm-hmm. obviously. Uh, Anthony, who's her uh, big brother, and and Violet, the mom. Those are the ones that kind of stick out. The other ones are there. I know Colin and Benedict are, I don't know, kind of about as used as they are in the first series. Yeah. I mean, in, this, in, this, in the show series. And then Nigel Burbrook is there. He is not as predatory as he is in the show. He's more just like a bumbling idiot. And he's not as much. Like, yeah, he's not no. there... He, he's in the beginning a little bit to get the story going and that's about it. Yeah. You don't hate him as much as you just like pity him and you're like, ugh, this guy is like in the way. Yeah. yeah. And then Lady Danbury is there and she's not as big of a character, certainly not as big of a character to Simon as she is in the show. She actually features much later in the series um, in a bigger way, but she's still like a badass. She walks with a cane She's a People. dragon. She's a dragon. Yeah, of yeah. like she like makes an entrance. So in that way, she's definitely there. But that's kind of it for the main characters. You do get more of Simon's backstory with his father. So you get more of that. I mean, let's just call it abuse. Like he's, yeah. you know, abuse and neglect that Simon's father gives him. And then the other, uh, the other thing I think you get more of, which is just by the nature of a book, you know, being more detailed and, and longer than a show you get really a good sense of the friendship between Simon and Daphne more. There are a lot of differences mm-hmm. between what goes on in the book and, and what happened in the show. A lot of that is because they're two different mediums 
and they require different things to stay interesting and engaging to people. Books have the luxury of time that most shows yep. don't. Mm-hmm. And so there, there's a lot of like internal stuff that they can yeah. dig into that shows don't really have the ability to do as much. You mentioned that there's much more information up front about Simon and his dad. And actually, that's the prologue. They're like, hey. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's right. Check out how shitty this guy's life is. Yeah. Before like introducing him later on in, into the book. So they put that way up front. This is where this guy comes from. This is why he's made some weird promises. <laughs> yeah Um, i get that's true you really get like a sense of his brokenness i think right up front in a way that you kind of don't in the show yeah and i mean i think in the show like it that happens in the second episode a little bit oh yeah that's true but it's a little bit like disconcerting actually i remember watching it when i watched through the first time i had to exit out of the episode to make sure i was still watching the same show because i was like is this (laughs) is this the show that i was watching that was so cute yeah the flashbacks are because it was harsh. Jarring. It was a harsh, yeah, jarring flashback. One of the other like major differences that popped out to me in the book that was so funny and also a little bit hard to get through was in the show, Daphne, she's made out to be <laughs> that bitch. Like she is the the diamond of the first mm-hmm. water, according to Queen Charlotte. She is the incomparable of the season. Yep. Mm-hmm. In the book, it really truly opens up with, hey, Daphne, she's all right. But, like, yeah. she's not that bitch. She's yeah, the, the no. diamond of the lovely fifth alternate water. Yeah. <laughs> when you first meet Daphne, it's like, she has pony a ponytail and glasses. <laughs> yeah. After the Duke and she come to their agreement, it's like she takes her hair down. And everyone's like, who is this girl? And it's like, wait yeah. a second. It feels almost shady, the levels that yeah. Julia Quinn goes to, to really put it out there like, like hey, yeah. She's not ugly, but she's not hot. Yeah. And, and also, she's got brothers. <laughs> so, yeah. Daphne, in the show, I felt that her character was one of the weaker of, of the of the characters in the show. Yeah. But in the book, she's even less somehow. Yeah. I feel like there's not much interior-wise with Daphne. Right. Basically, she's affable. She's got She's really defined by her family. By her family and by her relationship to Simon. Right. It's really more what she does for others than who who she is and what she wants. Because really, all we know about what she wants is she wants to do well on the marriage mart, maybe. Or maybe she just wants to please her mother. And maybe because she is supposed to be the audience, the reader in a way, there's Mm. not much to her, which makes me a little bit sad. Yeah. Well, and they, they, in the book, anyway, they really paint her as, just, like, just one of the guys. Yeah. Like, Daphne will come over, and she'll drink beer and eat pizza, and, like, who cares? Yeah, like, it's she's very... She's just Daphne, guys. What yeah. You, you know, whatever. Yeah. And it's like, okay. She's, I... listen, Erin, she's not like the other girls. <laughs> right. <laughs> she's like... She, here, here's the thing, Erin. She grew up, she has four brothers, and yeah. so she knows how men are and what they're like. And so she gets along with them better. Yeah, I absolutely call <laughs> bullshit on that. I have one brother and I have many boy cousins and they taught me absolutely nothing. Yeah. Like, I don't... It, like that's just not. Yeah. But yeah, that's how they paint her. Is that like she's, I don't know. It's it's very strange. It's basically that she's intelligent. She has a quick wit and she's funny, which is cool. Yeah. And she also doesn't just take shit. She is a bit of a ball buster because that's how yep. her family is. And I appreciate that. She does punch 
Nigel in the book as well as in the show. She does. She's got a good right hook because, again, she's got four brothers. That's right. right. Yeah, there's a scene in the book. I only keep mentioning it because the book keeps mentioning it. They really do. They really do. And there's a scene where the scene that, like, made me laugh upon a reread this last time was it's it's in that Nigel Burbrook punching scene where he's, like, out for the count or whatever. Or he's, like, kind of, like, coming to. And Simon's like, all right, well... You know, we don't really know each other, so, like, we got to get kind of out of here so that if people catch us together, it's going to be, you know, bad news bears or whatever. And she's like, oh, I have some, I have brothers. (laughs) There's nothing you can do. (laughs) And it's like, does having brothers absolve you from, like, absolutely everything in this weird etiquette of the Regency era? It's very strange. I wouldn't know, honestly. I don't. I don't have brothers, yeah. so. Yeah, it's very <laughs> strange. Yeah, it is. It's very, very weird that it's a thing. Again, yep. this is a book from <laughs> 20 years ago. True. With weird sensibilities about what it is to be a cool woman. Yeah. Yeah, she's a cool girl. And it, and for whatever reason, well, well we know the reasons. In this book, it, it mm-hmm. it's aligning herself to be more like a man. Right, right. And that, in the 2000s, in the early aughts, mm-hmm. that was a way to say she's a, a full person. She's a down chick. Yep. And not just some flighty chick who cares about ribbons and lace. Because yeah. those are dumb things to care about, apparently. Exactly. Yep. Even though ribbons and lace are very pretty things. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that's the one thing that really struck out to me. She's not someone people are like really going after in the first place. And it's not because of Anthony. No, he's way more overbearing in the show. And I think that it's, it's a really, it's a really great way to make Daphne less, you know, experiencing that internalized misogyny of not being one of those girls. But also I think it sets his story up as like the real, caretaker of that family in an an interesting way so it was a good choice that they made i think to like make him you know that was his purpose and that was what was keeping people from or men from from wooing daphne was that anthony was just so overbearing again the difference in the book with anthony it's the same in in the series where he's kind of he's this put upon person Mm -hmm. he's in a position that it makes him have to act a certain way it makes him have to be kind of stern dad at times and even he doesn't enjoy that but one of the bigger differences is in the book anthony is actually in on the scheme Mm -hmm. they loop him in pretty early on this is what we're doing and why yeah which i thought was kind of an interesting thing that they did to to not have that in the show yeah he was like kind of flipping his shit when simon was over because so the backstory in the show and in the book is that simon and anthony are kind of like bffs i don't know that they're best best friends but they're like college college friends yeah Yeah, like you know they've partied together in the book even they're like i you know i held your head over the toilet they're super close you can imagine you know seeing your like old drinking buddy horning in on your sister how that might put your hackles up and you might be weirded out by that in order to kind of keep him at bay and his temper from ruining their season and their ruse they just decide to, to let him know. And of course he thinks they're idiots, but it's better that he knows in, in the book, in the context of the book. He's not happy with it, but he's like, fine. Yeah. If you guys think this stupid plan will work, whatever. It's one of those things where Anthony, he's realizing, because this is his his oldest sister, right? This is his younger sister, but this is the oldest of his sisters. Yes. And she's out and he's 
realizing, oh, hey, the men that she has access to and the men that she, the selection she has of men, Mm -hmm. they were all raised the same way I was. Yeah. And I am a rake (laughs) and a a lecherous, terrible person. And oh, no. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, no. The patriarchy strikes again. Nobody (laughs) is good enough for my sister because we're all shit. That's right. That's right. (laughs) And not so many words. But he realizes, oh, fuck. Yeah. This sucks. And it's, you know, the brother's best friend romance type thing is a trope. Sure. And it's it works. For this very reason, you know, because mm-hmm. you have a closeness there. There is a proximity that kind of person has to the family. And the number one factor, the number one indicator of love, of romance, is proximity. That's very true. That's very true. The other thing I was reading in the book was that this is her second season. This is Daphne's second season out. And so it's not like in the first, you know, in your first season, I think there is more time. In your second season, I mean... Not that you're on the shelf yet, but like I think that there's, yeah, there's like maybe some more sense of an urgency. That might be another reason why she's more inclined to be like, all right, I really got to start thinking seriously about, I don't know, this marriage stuff. Nobody wanted me the first time around. There's not that many new people. (laughs) So yeah, yeah. Who's going to want me now? And there is that sense. They talk about it. There's, you know, a little bit of dialogue about it in the show, I think, and much more in the books about how the goal really is to find a a match in your first season. Right. Because your chances deteriorate pretty rapidly. (laughs) I mean, coming from someone who lives in a super small town and who lives literally 20 minutes from the town that I was born and grew up in, Mm -hmm. that is true. (laughs) Yep. If you didn't find your sweetheart in high school... Yeah, it just goes straight downhill from there. And it's, yeah, because your choices, you know. your choices get less and less, and yep. you know they they get less good. Yep. Unless possibly a hot duke comes into town. Gosh, cross my <laughs> fingers every day. Right. <laughs> In my town, it would be like Dukes of Hazard do so, and I'm not into that. No. Okay. That's that's fair. <laughs> yeah. Well, but speaking of new folks, so in the show, Prince Friedrich is introduced, but he and Queen Charlotte are actually not in the books at all. Yeah, they completely belong to the show itself. They do not belong to the book series at all. Yeah. And I think that they're great additions because one thing about this book and the the entire series is the the stories are actually pretty small. Each of the stories is a very intimate telling for Mm -hmm. the most part. This book is mostly Daphne and Simon. It's mm-hmm. mostly between them. So there just aren't that many side characters in the in the book. Right. And there's no... One of the elements of romance is that jealousy. Mm-hmm. It's a compelling part of, the, of a romantic story. And the book doesn't really have that because it's more focused on the building of their friendship and Daphne not understanding how bodies work and all of that. <laughs> so I really think that introducing a prince as a sort of competitor was really smart. Oh, yeah. Really smart addition. Not to mention yeah. Queen Charlotte, who amazing, amazing addition for yeah. many reasons. Yeah. And they both add such an element of fantasy that really the show does so much more of visually and storyline wise than the, than the books do. Because, you know, I don't know. It's like... Just throw in a prince. Sure. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> like, that's another one. Oh, he happens to be the nephew of this amazing, dramatic, theatrical queen. Yes. Queen Charlotte. Yeah, so they just really add to that element. And they create conflict, I think, in the show, too, the, to keep that sort of, you know, series running in a different way when they're kind of denied their 
quick marriage at first and, mm-hmm. and all those things. All oh, of that yeah. Sort of stuff back yeah, then. that that gave us that whole speech about how Simon feels about Daphne. <laughs> and I mean, Ugh. can you imagine? Oh, yeah. Can you? <laughs> it's so rare to meet somebody who's your best friend and also the most beautiful person you've ever met. <laughs> Get out of here. He's like, he's like, I've never really been one for talking, but like, uh, but it's, it's always been easy with her. Okay. It's just like stupid. It's stupid how <laughs> moony eyed I get over this freaking show. Such a simple declaration. Yeah, he's basically like, I like hanging out with her. Yeah, like I just really enjoy being around this person. It's like, that's all I want. <laughs> and also, I just really want to bone her. So, yeah, <laughs> I happen to be super attracted to her. And I like hanging out with her, and I like hearing the things that she has to say. Give me a better vow. I dare you. Yeah, it doesn't It doesn't <laughs> exist. No. If people aren't using this as part of their, their wedding vows in 2021, yeah. you're dumb. Yeah. <laughs> it's there. It's all right there for you. It's written for you. Just take yeah. it take it, and use it. There are a lot of characters that they introduce in the show, mm-hmm. like Marina, yep. which is a very interesting one, because yeah. in the book series, she does exist. But she, in the book series, is a cousin of the Bridgertons. Mm -hmm. She's distant. She's barely in it. She's really, story's actually very sad. Very sad. And they might still be working towards that with how things started. So her story is very sad. She is not part of the, the Featheringtons at all. And her getting pregnant out of wedlock is not really part of the story either. Right. So it is interesting that they brought her in so early on, made her part of the Featherington family. Yeah. I, I'm not sure where they're going with that, but... <laughs> her character, I mean, I, I think we can all agree, is really awesome. The actress who plays her is so good. I think what's interesting about Marina in the show is that you see another level of class, I think, that yeah. exists outside of the ton, but not so outside of the ton that they're, you know, the poor who live on the streets next door in london or whatever she's like a well-to-do middle class type. yeah she's the the daughter of a farmer which i just watched the newest version of emma Mm -hmm. and she's like robert martin's family almost Mm -hmm. yeah where emma says something like he's not so below me that he would be someone i would give charity to but he's also not in my rank. I almost don't even see him, you know, whatever. Marina comes from an educated family. In the show, she is Lord Featherington's niece. So Lord Featherington's brother, mm-hmm. who obviously comes from the period, he ended up being a farmer because he couldn't be a lord. They're not so far removed, but she is in, in that in-between where she's not somebody who is put off by the working class. Right. But she also knows the etiquette of the upper class. Yes. Knows how to get along at a ball and stuff. Yeah. So she's like a really interesting character to just have portrayed at all. And then to have her have that further scandal of being with child, you know, adds another element to it because she doesn't have a title to protect her. She's at the whim of family members. And and so it really, it's like another lens on how a woman's experience in whatever tier of society you're in is, I don't know, just really fucked up. <laughs> like, I don't know a better way to yeah, say it. Like, but no, 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 like, yeah. You are at the mercy of people who are related to you. You're at the mercy of gossip papers. Yep. You're at the mercy of men who want to marry you for love or because you have good teeth um, or like <laughs> yeah. whatever. It's a, it's horrifying if you really sat down to think about 
what your life would be like. Another character who is in the series, but much later on, who kind of takes more of the stage in the the, the show is Crestor Cowper, mm-hmm. who is kind of the villain of the series, Yeah, but is really not in, in the first book, I don't think at all, Mm-mm. which is wild. Picture it. A promenade outside with your intended, when suddenly, rain. You dash indoors, but not before your precious hat has surely been ruined. For once the soft virgin beaver material has been spoiled, it is almost impossible to get it back to its original, presentable shape. Until now. With washable annual beavers, or WAB, you can join a subscription service to get one new, barely legal beaver hat delivered to your door once a year slap it pound it make it wet your beaver hats quality will stand up to many uses as all refined gentry know there is no greater disappointment than a spoiled beaver hat nor any greater joy to be found than a fresh beaver hat visit www.wabwab com to start your subscription today another thing though while in the show daphne discovering having that argument with simon about how he had lied to her and used her lack of knowledge against her and made her a fool and her taking advantage of him were in the same scene in the show um they're actually two very separate incidents Mm. in the book Mm-hmm. And that happens over kind of a, a longer period of time in the book. And also, <laughs> it is much more problematic in the book. Yes. That part where she takes advantage of Simon. They did a lot to finesse it and make it more palatable yeah. in, in the TV show. They did a lot of work, or in the Netflix show, they did a lot of work to make it not as bad. And even then, it was still very problematic when it comes yeah. to consent. Yeah. Well, in the show, too, because I was... <laughs> always like you know i was rewatching it the other day <laughs> listen guys if you don't think that every single free moment that i have i'm watching i'm rewatching this show get out of here that's all i'm doing with my life right now so yeah i was rewatching this and after that that happens where she takes advantage of simon there is so much being said about other characters that really resonates with her experience and I think that that's their answer to examining how wrong that was. So there's a voiceover from Lady Whistledown who is like, does the means ever justify the cause or whatever, or ever justify the end? And there is some comment about, it's really more about Marina and her situation. They The, the way they do it is providing general thoughts from other characters that really, really speaks volumes about what Daphne has just done. Mm-hmm. And so I think that examination is makes it more palatable she did do something to him without consent she Mm -hmm. she violated him she violated his trust Mm -hmm. she violated him sexually Mm -hmm. there is nuance to this in that what she did was wrong absolutely yeah and i think the show treated it so that you knew that he he also felt that it was wrong yeah he he did feel violated he told her such and there was fallout because of it yeah but also that you know it how dangerous it is to put people out into the world without sex education yeah that's yeah it is it is dangerous because the harm that can 
be done to other people when you're you don't understand what's right and wrong what's okay what's not okay what's consent what's not Mm -hmm. like how that can do harm to your relationships and do harm to people so there is that piece of it where she was put into the world without any of that knowledge and caused damage because of it right and at the same time he did purposefully keep her ignorant yeah not that that means that he deserved what he got at all right but it's a factor in what happened between them yeah, there's betrayal on both ends. Yes. And that's yeah. never good. But in but so in the book, the I think what makes it more problematic is that he has been drinking mm-hmm. on the night where she takes advantage of him and um so she is truly taking advantage of him in in more than just one way. Like she's taking advantage of him physically, but also he is is not of, of sound mind when this is happening in the book. Yeah, because he's pretty much passed out drunk. Yeah. When she realizes, oh, his dick's still hard. <laughs> right. Which is... Right. Yeah, and he's not in a state of mind to be able to consent at all right. in the first place. Yeah. And he doesn't even realize what's happening until it's basically too late. So it is... It's much, much harder to read in the book. And yeah. I do think that the show does a lot to try to make it not as problematic yeah. as it's written in the book. So if you have not read the books, I, I would will give you a warning that yeah. it, it's much worse in there. Yeah. I mean, it is a plot point in, yep. in both. So I do think it's something that the series could not have just cut out. Yeah. But so, you know, in that way, though, we are seeing like 20 years of progressiveness when it comes to consent and sexual misconduct and, and things that, you know, even like 20 years ago, I don't know that it was as acknowledged that women can sexually violate men. I think that that's still a conversation that still feels fairly new for them to address it in the way that they did on the show i think does show that sort of two decades of of where we've come from yeah which is kind of nice and again hopeful that those conversations and those portrayals will be more and more included and educational yeah for sure and i think one of the great things about the show is how many different conversations it's sparking another thing that i noticed about the show that's not really included at all in the book is how much the house staff is involved with the characters so um not just the bridgertons but also the featheringtons when simon and daphne do get married and go to cliveton there's much more portrayal of, of a relationship between the housemaid or the housekeeper and even the the valet and the the main male characters there's more portrayal of that which i think is very sweet especially the relationship between rose daphne's personal maid and herself i think is, is nice yes i i love that in the show and it's just non-existent in the books <laughs> like, yeah yeah it's tough because it's it's hard to read this book as a singular thing when i, I have the knowledge of the show with me right so i can mm-hmm. really only read it in context of knowing the show as well and so i can only really look at it and say i appreciate what it is yeah i can see why it was popular when it came out but I do think that the show made major improvements yeah. on the plot, on the storyline, on on a lot of things. Yeah. And I do think that the book is better because of the show. Definitely. Yeah. And even the subplot of Eloise trying to find out who Lady Whistledown is. I mean, that's not in the sh- in the book at all. And then the her moment with the house staff such a great scene where she's in their <laughs> oh yeah she's sne- their, snooping around their, yeah their house yeah their um housekeeper's bedroom 
and her housekeeper, like, I don't know, when she first walked in, I was like, oh no, Eloise is gonna, like, be kind of snooty and high and mighty. And throw like, her weight around. The, yeah. Yeah, she's, like, the, the person who's being served and not the servant or whatever. But, oh no, that servant is not <laughs> just <laughs> she's like, servant. She's like, you're not my boss. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. She's like, yeah, you're not my boss. I changed your diapers. Yeah. You get on out of here. She, yeah, yeah, she's basically like, I have good. not worked here for 20 years right? for this. <laughs> just to have you snooping around in my personal effects. Yeah, and I love the way she just, like, completely laughs off the entire yeah. idea. She's like, when? When would yeah. I write this, huh? Yeah. <laughs> like, when, I, yeah. when I'm washing your underwear? <laughs> when I... I am busy. What do you yeah. think I do all day? <laughs> yeah, it's very good. Yeah, yeah they, that, that was handled very, very well. Last episode, we did a character spotlight on Lady Violet Bridgerton. And this week, we would like to do a character spotlight on Lady Danbury, a.k.a. Ejoa Ando. Oh, she's fan favorite. Oh, God. She's so she's good. Wonderful. She, yeah. I mean, she sparkles on the screen. Yeah. Her charisma levels off the charts. Yeah. In that first scene where Simon rocks up to, to Hastings' house <laughs> and she's out there kind of like overseeing, you know, whatever's happening, mm-hmm. things being moved around. And she's talking to him, like being like, oh, hey, you're here. Great. I'm throwing a party. No, you cannot sneak out of it. You can't. Yeah. You can't beg off. You're going. Their interaction and her body movement from the very start, you could tell that this is a presence on screen that cannot yeah. be ignored. Yeah. So she's, I guess, is she a widow, I guess, then? I don't know that we ever get into her I, I think she is. I think she's like a dowager. Yeah. Um, dowager duchess, maybe? Maybe. I think. Because she's, she's up there. I think she's so up she's, there. Yeah. So in the show, she's a friend of Simon's mom, but she's titled. I mean, she's she's a lady, but yeah. So I don't know that we get her like backstory that much in the show, but but she's for all intents and purposes single. Like she's not, you know, partnered with anyone, and she doesn't have like a, a family family of her own. So she acts as this like wonderful godmother to Simon more in the show than than anything in the in the book. But she, but her family is still connected to the Bassets, I think, in the book. Yeah, it looks like she is a dowager countess. Oh, okay. Okay. So yeah, she she's amazing. The majority of her work is on the stage and theater, and I think it shows. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think the way she acts, the way she uses her body is is big, um, which works yeah. in this context, which which works in this show because the show is fantastical and just it it translates very well, but she has also done your regular British rounds of TV. <laughs> <laughs> she was on Doctor Who, she was on EastEnders. <laughs> Nice. You got to do it. <laughs> I need to watch this because I didn't realize. But she is. She plays Nelson Mandela's chief of staff in Invictus. But she does I have. I haven't seen that. Yeah, she. Her movie career is kind of limited. It is yeah. what it is. It just means that we have less of her on, on film. But she also does some voice work. She did the number one ladies detective agency. She does a narration of those audiobooks. That is awesome. Which is I'm, so good. Yeah, I need to listen to those. Um, I feel like I read the first one, but I, I never listened to them. In the series, really, that's, again, like, we talked about this in the, in the first episode, like, the feminist slant. I do think that she is one of those characters that really shows off 
well, really the limitations of what a woman could do, but enough that you can carve your way in some way. And so, like, Daphne is newly married and is then invited to this, like, ladies-only, I don't know, gambling party or whatever. And that is where you really see Lady Danbury let her hair down. Yes. Uh, Yeah. And then the next morning... Literally, she lets her hair down, and she just looks freaking badass. Oh, my God. And she's smoking um, that cheroot, I think. Smoking, like a, yeah, like a clove cigarette or something, and she's so cool. So what's funny is that, that scene where she has that ladies' night mm-hmm. for married ladies, it was filmed at Badminton House, which is a, such a cute name. <laughs> Badminton yeah, House. Yeah, a cute name. And so it turns out she actually grew up a couple miles from Badminton House. That was an estate that she was very familiar with. From her childhood and adolescence. That's so cool. And she is mixed race. And she was born in a time where that was still a thing that Mm -hmm. people got judged for. and People got treated differently for, even in England. And I read this article where she talked about how growing up in, in that kind of country setting, there were houses that she knew she wasn't invited into. She's like, in some ways, my upbringing was very picturesque and it was very... Mm -hmm everything country England that you can imagine mm-hmm. but it, but in other ways that was still there that racism that otherness was still yeah. was still present in her childhood so that badminton house in that scene where Lady Danbury is having that ladies night the room that they filmed in there is a painting of Queen Charlotte that hangs there an actual Amazing. painting I think we've mentioned it before there's bait over whether or not Queen Charlotte was mixed race mm-hmm. yeah and if it, if you want to, you can read about the debate or you can look at the pictures. <laughs> like, yeah, I, look, I mean, look at, look at the, the portraits and tell me she's not a person of color. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I was thinking about that because like, um, I was thinking about the, so again, we mentioned that like the, this is touched on so very briefly in the show, but it is touched on as a conversation between Lady Danbury and the Duke of Hastings that they are able to, their characters are black in the show. And they talk about how they're able to have titles because of Queen Charlotte. I, you know, have been reading articles about, like, that's such a write-off, whatever. Mm-hmm. But I was thinking about, so I have a friend who is from Spain. Well, she's, her dad's from Maryland. So that's, you know, whatever, <laughs> yeah. who cares? But her mom is from Spain. and She grew up um, quite a bit in Spain. And um, she was telling me the reason that there is that lisp accent in um, Spanish folks where like they'll say um, Barcelona instead yeah. of Barcelona or Ibiza instead of Ibiza comes from one of their kings had a lisp and that the king because he had a lisp that was considered fashionable and was carried on and it actually changed the way they say like it changed their language it changed yeah. the way they say certain words and so I think like and that's reality that yeah. actually is in our existence mm-hmm. and so I do think there is some credence to if a royal does it yeah in some level you yeah. know we it, when we're thinking of like 20th century or 21st century brains the monarchy is not as prevalent to us as yeah. it would have been you know two or three centuries ago but we're impressionable though <laughs> Yeah. And so I do think there is some credence to say that, like, you know, if the king married a woman of color, that might be something that led to people of color being more considered whatever. Yeah. I don't I don't know. To that end, that whole thing about Joa Ando mm-hmm. growing up close to that house where they filmed that ladies night is she said with her experiences and everything that 
knowing that that painting was there and knowing the history of it, if she had mm-hmm. known that as a little girl, like she thinks about what that could have done for her Aww. to know that, you know, it's, there's nothing new or different about yeah. being mixed race. It, it's one yeah. of those things where it is in the show. It, it's a throwaway kind of thing that they just mm-hmm. put in there. Like, this is, this is why it is the way it is. And there's, I think that the real weird thing is there's, you know, absolutely no fallout from it, which we know is not the case when it comes to race relations. You can't just make one change and then everybody's cool. Right. Right. But but I mean, they're not even cool like centuries after you make that change. No. Yeah. yeah. Look at us where we are today. It's it's just not, it's not that easy. But again, it's not the focus of the show is the thing. Right. Like the, the focus of the show is not about race relations. Truly. Right. It's about this this love story where this girl doesn't know shit. <laughs> and she it, don't know what that dick do. She doesn't know what that dick do, but <laughs> the Duke is hot, and so she's down for whatever. If the focus is going to be on race relations... It would be a different show. It, it would yes, just be, it would be, it would a, be completely... a different show. And not, not you know, there's no, like, I don't know. It would just be a, a different show than what it is. And so I yeah. think that... Hopefully we'll get more examination of that in a, but in a way that like still keeps it the show. I mean, it's based on these books that came out two decades ago. And so there is going to be a gap. There's going to be a divide. Yeah. And the books are such small stories. They are really just focused on a single love story. Yeah. So they are small in nature. They are not these like, these books are not, there to examine political structures or right. examine po- society in that way. It's just not what it's about. Yeah. So we should thank our lucky stars yes. that Adwa Ando is on our screen in yes. her like sweet ass purple getups. Yes. She looks like a freaking queen herself. She does. She's got her cane. She's got like, she tells the queen because the queen's like, <laughs> yeah. is that how low, is that how low you can go or whatever when yeah. she curtsies and she's like, Yep, with these knees, that's as low as I can go. And it's like, damn. Like, she stands up to the queen. And the queen tells like, everyone to get out. Yeah. Like, in that last, oh, that yeah, last party, yeah. she's, she's like, like, get out. And the queen obeys her. Yeah, she's like, um, <laughs> this party is over, guys. You gotta leave. Yeah. yeah, she's like, bye. You know, one thing that I wanted to talk about was Simon's struggle with speech. Mm-hmm. It's much better in the books. Yeah. There are certain parts of the books that I think do better to the story than in the show. And when it comes to everything about his struggles with speech, I, I think that's one of the areas where the book outshines the show. And yeah. I think it's, you know, by nature of, of what a book is and what it allows is it just there's more interior insights to Simon and more what's going through his head, what's going on in his body while things are happening that you just don't really they can't explain it on TV. And I will say that I so I watched the series again after having read the book because Aaron and I are in the same boat. We are both just um, <laughs> in it to win it. We're in it to win it. Like, we are just like, fully. Someone's giving out prizes for. We're fully we're gone. Sad sack. Watching the <laughs> yeah. most. Like, yeah. We're like it's us. Too, we're vying for it. it. Yeah. But I will say that in the show, like rewatching it after having read the book, I will say that uh, Reggae Jean Page does a really good job embodying what's happening to Simon. Yes. In those big moments where he's like quiet or, you know, not quick to reply mm-hmm. when watching it back. If you <laughs> got him, it sounds like such a creep. If you really pay attention to his mouth, <laughs> <laughs> which yeah, yes, 
<laughs> yes, Aaron. No I, problem. Aaron, I'm inviting is you. Is that my homework? Because yeah, Aaron. No problem. Aaron, this is me inviting you to rewatch the entire series, but just spend your entire time watching his mouth. <laughs> and if you're wondering, did I really do that? You know what? I'm actually blushing right now, Elle. And I'm know- <laughs> actually, like, my face is on fire. But here's the, so here's the thing, though. Oh, my god! You can see when, in the book, it talks about some, at times, especially when it's emotionally heightened for him, that his mm-hmm. tongue is, like, lead in his mouth where it just, like, won't move. It's just stuck. Yeah. And it's heavy, and he can't, he can't do anything to move it. Mm-hmm. And in those kind of big emotional scenes, it's there, Rick and John, John Page is doing that. You can see that that, that is happening in his mouth. I implore you specifically to go back to that garden scene where they're at that party and oh, he shows okay. up and yeah. she's yelling at him because he broke things off with her very yeah. like, shittily. And she's yelling at and him. And she's like, I'm going to be a princess. Yeah, like, go, you know, she's like, go fuck yourself. I got mine. And, uh, and so, yeah, she's yelling at him. And she's like, I think she even says, like, aren't you going to say anything? And Uh. then runs off into the garden. If you watch him, you can see that he literally can't say anything. Yeah. You can see it in the way his body is and all of that. And you know what? If watching this back, paying that much attention to the acting that's going on in Reggae Jean Page's mouth makes me the Nigel Burbrook of this podcast... (laughs) Then so be it. I'll work it out in therapy. I mean, I, I'm just I saying. Notice. I'm just saying it's there. I believe it. I did notice that after the scene where um, she takes advantage of him, you can tell that he's like, you know, shocked or whatever, and he starts to ask her, "What have you done?" He really has a hard time getting those words out. Yeah. And so I do think he does. Like that's a really great point that like he. It's not just like a. Here's his, like, sad backstory and, like, we never have to think about it again or whatever. He really puts that into the character. Um, yeah. And, I mean, I'm sure it's written that way, too, but, like... He's still dealing with it. Yeah, in, like, moments of heightened, you know, emotion or whatever, he really is dealing with it. And I think that that's another thing that uh, the, the book does really well is, you know, in the show, like, his his reasoning for, like, not wanting to have kids, mm-hmm. it's flimsy. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's real dumb. And in the book, so that that's kind of, like, the reason he tells everybody, right? You know, I, I told my dumb dad, the line dies with me because you're stupid. Right. I, I'm just going to live my life to make you mad even when you're dead. So, that th- and that's kind of how it is in the book, too. He, at first, is like, this is why. And Daphne's like... That makes zero sense. Yeah. <laughs> that makes actually no yeah, sense at like, all. Sounds dumb. She's like, yeah, that <laughs> sounds really dumb. And here, here's exactly how that's dumb. But what they did in the book, which I'm, I'm really surprised that it, it wasn't made part of the show because I think it's one of the, the best parts. It, it's one of the best scenes in the book. Mm-hmm. And I think would have made the show that much better is when they, they get back together in the book. And it's really weird because the incident that makes them like realize oh no we still love each other you know after going through their dramas is in the book it's Daphne (laughs) so he doesn't follow her back to London when she after she takes advantage of him and Mm -hmm. there's a possibility that she's pregnant the next morning he leaves off to another estate he's like hey there's some (laughs) other business I'm gone to this other estate and so after a while she goes to London because she's like I at least should be around my family if Mm -hmm. my husband's not going to be around And then, so she's waiting for her courses to come. 
And as the weeks go by, she's like, okay, okay, no, no blood in my sheets. And it's a couple weeks after I normally have my courses. So I'm probably pregnant. And she's like really happy about it, whatever, whatever. And she ends up writing him a letter that Anthony delivers because <laughs> he's Anthony. Oh, yeah, that's right. So Anthony's like, I'll go write this letter out to him. And Daphne makes sure that Anthony promises that he, one, won't look at the letter. <laughs> And mm-hmm. two, won't threaten her husband physically because mm-hmm. she is very rightly telling Anthony, you don't know shit about my marriage. Yep. Stay out of my business because you have no idea what's happening between us. And we're not going to tell you because it's weird. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. And, just trust Anthony. Yeah. It's real weird. Yeah. Just trust and like just stay the fuck out of it. But go ahead and deliver this letter. <laughs> So, so he goes, he delivers it and she's still under the impression that she's pregnant this time. So she's like, Hey, just FYI, my quote unquote efforts, as you put it, have succeeded. Yeah. It appears that I'm with child. She Googled. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> How do I get pregnant? Yeah. And so, and so he comes, he's like, okay, he, he has kind of a change of heart. He's like, I like, I really need to go back to London. So he yeah. shows up and she's not, she's not home. He finds out that she's gone out writing and he's like, what the fuck? Yeah. Why is she writing? Cause that's not something you do when you're pregnant. And so she's going to shake that baby. Yeah. So he goes out to the park where she is and she's like, she's gone purposefully early in the morning so that no one else is there so that she can go ham on this horse and she can just like, (laughs) so she can like go full, full speed on this horse. Cause she, she just needs to feel something. Right. And so she, she needs to gallop free. And so he's chasing after her and she's running away and not paying that much attention, whatever. Something happens. She basically just fucking eats it. <laughs> like, I think she, yeah, I think she like, right. hits a branch and, like, falls off this horse. And mm-hmm. so, and in that moment, he's making sure she's all right and whatever, whatever. And, like, she has to tell him that she actually started bleeding and there, she's not pregnant. Whatever. So, they get back together. It's a weird <laughs> horse injury-induced mm-hmm. getting back together for these two. But they come home the Bridgerton brothers come try to save the day and they're like what the fuck are you doing here get out of our house you're not saving shit go home and then Violet comes in and she promptly collects them like what the fuck are you doing here you idiots (laughs) and she's like don't even tell me that they're okay because of you guys because I know for a fact that's not true (laughs) which was very cute but anyway so they they get back together he he's like all right I'm gonna come in you now yeah and after that they have this lovely conversation where he starts out kind of a bit about his father and all, all of that stuff. And she's mm-hmm. like, living your life influenced right. by him in any way is letting him win. Yeah. Like it, and she's like, if you don't want children, that's one thing. But if, if you don't want children because you think that's what your father wants you to do, that's a completely different thing. Yeah. And then because things have softened, because he's been able to, to open up a bit, he brings up, what if our child comes out like me? Which is really mm. the crux of why he doesn't yeah. why, why he's so scared to have children that, that is really the crux of the issue is yeah. he's so afraid of bringing another child into this world to have the same experience that he did and she yeah. does such a lovely job of saying if we have a child mm-hmm. and they have issues speaking then i will love them i, I will love them and mm-hmm. i have an expert with me She's like, I will consult with you because you you know how to do this. You've done this. Yeah, she's like, you're in the best position to raise a child like that. She's like, would you reject a child who stammered? 
And that right. completely unlocks in his brain. Wait a minute. I would never treat a child like that. There's there's no way yeah. that a child of mine would have the same experiences that I did because I yeah. am their father and I would never want them to have those experiences. It is such a lovely scene where they really address the heart of the issue for Simon and really do well to assuage those fears through Daphne. And she talks about mm-hmm. how because there's love there, that love makes everything easier because he he also has this idea which i think is you know kind of a common thing where he thinks that i i hate my dad so much but my dad is what made me into this man he's who made me successful because i was trying so hard to prove him wrong and daphne's like no you were successful because you were smart and you were clever and you are stubborn and you wanted this for yourself if anything, he made all of that harder to achieve. And if, right. if he would have loved you the way he should have loved you as a father, all of the things you you achieved for yourself would have been so much easier. Love makes yeah. things easier. I mean, it would make things easier for any of our children because we will love them the way that they should be loved. Which, again, yeah. such a lovely like sentiment that's in the story that's actually not in the show at all. Yeah, I do think that that is a very solidly like patriarchal thing to be like, you know, I am who I am because, because of, of my struggles yeah. that I had to overcome and like whatever. And it's like, yeah, but don't you understand if you like have a nurturing support yeah. system, those wouldn't have been challenges. And then you would have been able to face them much easier. And then what else could you have accomplished? Yeah. Like, I think it's that, like a weird, yeah, that's it's a, the way we frame trauma and romanticize yeah. it in a way. Because we are adaptable right. as human beings, which is a good thing and it's a bad thing at times because we can a- yeah. adapt to situations in which we have to survive and living in a survival mindset is damaging over time. And it, it can be damaging right. to the way that you view the world, you view yourself, and it can be hard to get out of, which is what we see with Simon, is that he yeah. lived with this trauma for so long that it continued to shape the world around him and his decisions in life. And yeah. he, he didn't see that because there was no therapy <laughs> in Regency England. Right. I mean, yeah. And he's like a dude and they, they don't necessarily, especially certainly in that century, they're not forthcoming with their emotions. Part of about that the way stuff. that we're adaptable is creating stories for ourselves and creating reasons mm-hmm. for ourselves. And it, it's a very common thing to think that what doesn't kill you makes you stronger as Kelly Clarkson right. would say. <laughs> right. But the thing yep. is trauma is not character. Trauma is not mm-hmm. strength. And if if you are strong and if you are a person of character and are, are smart or capable, all those things, it is not because of trauma. It is in spite of it. Those things were yeah. there beforehand. And it actually it made it more difficult, yeah. which I think is a great right. lesson of the book. Like, I think it's a great moral of the book yeah. that you don't have to put that trauma on a pedestal <laughs> at all. It doesn't, it doesn't right. deserve a place there. Absolutely. In days of yore, imperious Bess, our high and mighty queen, oft in a spangled bodice dress, in Islington was seen. With sugar loaf, her hat might vie, and tottering was her gait. In shoes at heel three inches high, and pointed like a skate. While many to her highness knelt, with reverential bow, how many bitter pangs she felt on her imperial toe. Had she been happy in her day, such shoes as ours to get, 
Throughout her long and glorious way, her crown had easier set. Visit the new Shoe Mart at number 9, Upper Street in Islington Green, today! Before we move on to, you know, our overall thoughts, I wanted to highlight the narrator of the books yeah, that you and I have listened great. to. So, yeah, that's mostly how we have read these. I'm reading Francesca's <laughs> story now, but I, it, it was not available to me through my library um, in ebook form. So I'm, I mean, in audiobook form. So I'm reading it like an ebook form. And I, the, I have to say, I really much in, more enjoy the audio version. Um, so the, I'm pretty sure this is the same narrator that you and I mm. have both listened to is yeah, Rosalind Landor. Yeah, she's a big she's a big name in, um, in kind of the romance book industry. Yeah, she's fantastic. Such a great narrator. I will say I'm kind of made uncomfortable by the fact that we're listening to these pretty intense sex scenes <laughs> with yes. sex noises from this, you know, I mean, by all intents probably very sweetly. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes, like, when I, like, separate myself from it and, like, look at the reality of, like, me, you know, I don't know, doing a little puzzle and, like, listening to this Oh, yeah, when she's, and, like, and, groaning. Um... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she's, like, you're making it so difficult for me, Daphne, yeah. blah, blah, blah. Yeah, when she's, like, like, trying to oh, both, God, she's what's happening? trying to both deepen her voice and groan and do something yeah and groan yeah yeah but she's she's great and she does i i do recommend yeah. um you know the audiobooks because they're done so well yeah she does do a great job so just shout out to her because she really made them um you know pretty nice to listen yeah. to i i kind of touched on a little bit kind of my thoughts on on the book versus the show but what, what were yours Aaron? yeah like how did you feel about the book in and of itself, and then how did you feel about the book in context and in comparison with the show? So I do, I think the book, so like I said in episode one, I'm not that big of a romance reader, but it was a really great experience for me when I first read the book, and then certainly upon the reread, I enjoyed it. I wouldn't say I loved it. I will say now that I've gone on to read more in the series, there are other books and other stories, other characters that I am probably more invested in. But I do think that one thing that's very lovely about the book is the deep dive that you get with Daphne and Simon's friendship. Obviously their love story is we were, you know, pretending to be in love and then we did fall in love or whatever. But I also think it is a friends mm -hmm. first and then lovers sort of story. And so I do think that that's highlighted in the book. So yeah, I really, I did like it. I'm so excited for the other seasons mm -hmm. to come out so we can talk about those books because there's so much I love about some of the other books. Yeah, there's no, I would say there's no one of the books that I've read so far. One, there's no one like complete book that I love. I feel like there's elements in each book that I can pull out and be like, man, I really love this scene or I really love the way that she wrote this character or I really love this relationship. And that's, pretty interesting and that's like enough i think to keep with reading yeah the i i will say that julia quinn she writes great characters one but she also yeah. does really good dialogue like her her banter mm -hmm. is really good between characters and i think that that's kind of what keeps it compelling throughout the story is like these people yeah. feel real even in the books they feel like their relationships are real and they don't feel too hollow which is a quite an achievement because yeah. it's really easy to to write especially side characters that don't feel like anything more than, you know, a plot device. 
Yeah. That's a good the point. series is a world building series, right? Because you're, you know, definitely it opens up more and more to the Ton and to um, all the other siblings and whatnot as they go. So your appreciation of, of each story grows a bit as they move on. But mm-hmm. I, I agree. Like the books, I think the, the books are a good introduction to romance because they're, they're very solid. The Duke and I is a very solid story. It's a compelling story. Mm-hmm. It's written very well. The family is likable and all of that. I do think that the show takes the book and elevates it to a whole new thing. Well, and that's the thing with, with romance in general is, you know, why is romance different than like erotica mm-hmm. or porn? It's because you're so emotionally invested in these characters. You know, if what gets you off, <laughs> yeah. for lack, yeah. lack of a better phrasing, is emotional attachment, knowing someone's story and have that story build and have conflict and things that feel real or at least plausible, that's why i think that this is so successful so like in the in the show it certainly does that in the book it certainly does that some ways are similar some ways are different that's what makes these characters beautiful and you want them to like make out and you want them to kiss not just because they're like hot people in cool ass costumes which that is is a big part of it certainly a factor um it's yeah, it's because of all of the things boiling under the surface or building yes. tension around them. And so that's what I like about both of yeah, these. Yeah, great, great tension builders. While sex is an element in the books, it is, I, I would say the sex is even more vanilla than in the show. It's Definitely. there, you know. He does not go down no, on her in the stairs no. or in the library. I will does not do it. And yeah, so. and, and it's that same level of it's fantasy sex it is not right, really based yeah. in reality of how <laughs> bodies actually work <laughs> but yeah like right. it's it's a good introductory to to romance but i don't think that just reading this book alone would have had the same effect on me as the the show did but yeah, yeah. a good solid book and obviously Definitely. good enough that we kept reading <laughs> we we are yeah. like yeah sure, for sure i uh I, I finished the series a while ago and aaron mentioned that she's on the fourth so we definitely will we'll be talking about those later on. But now I would like to play a game. <laughs> In our first episode, and the last okay. episode, we played a game of Would You Rather and uh, warned you that it was going to be pretty blue. And in fact, it was. <laughs> Very much so. This, we are going to play Would You Rather again. But this one's, it's not bad. So don't okay. feel the need to shut this off. Or... Shut it off. I don't know. Well, do, do what you want. <laughs> it's still weird. So, <clears throat> Aaron, would you rather there only ever be the one perfect season of Bridgerton and then Reggae Jean Page's career fades immediately, or you get eight very good seasons of Bridgerton, but Simon Bassett is played by Jeremy Renner? <laughs> Oh my gosh <sighs> choices right wow that is holy cow that's one of the hardest <laughs> would you rathers i think i've ever heard because i mean here's um, the thing simon is a main character in the first one only so if you, you have seven seasons where jeremy's just kind of in the background doing a not great <laughs> british accent <laughs> oh gosh i have such strong <laughs> dislike feelings for Jeremy Renner. 
such strong ones. So, like, that would very possibly ruin it. Like, if he's even in ones, I don't know. That's hard. Okay. So, <sighs> I okay. work through this. All right. So, so, so one is, I, we get one this wonderful. Season. Yep, this, this season. season. We get this one. Mm-hmm. Of Bridgerton. And then, Reggae Jean Page, what? He doesn't do anything ever again? So, um, so, okay. So, here's what happens. So we know okay. um, it was announced recently that Reggae John Page has been attached to an upcoming D&D movie with Chris Pine. So yeah. what happens is he he actually goes full Tom Hanks in Mazes and Monsters while filming that movie. <laughs> and he just has a, a full break from reality and spends the rest of his life living this hunky paladin fantasy. Um, and and so he just kind of like drops he just does not work anymore after that and Shondaland is like we can't we actually just can't continue on with this series because we can't replace him even if he's not a main character in in the upcoming ones right so they're just like we're just gonna move on they go on and do more glorious things Reggie John Page is taking care of the rest of his life but does not act anymore but you still have season one of Bridgerton for the rest of your life or you right. deal with you deal Jeez. with the first season being about Daphne and Simon, where Simon is played by Jeremy Renner, <laughs> and then you get seven other seasons. Oh wait, okay. So in this second one, in the second rather, it would be this season is now replaced. Yeah, this season is now replaced, and it, instead of Reggae Jean Page, it's been Jeremy Renner this whole time. So it's Jeremy. <laughs> so Reggae Jean Page, Reggae Jean Page is not attached to Bridgerton at all in this second scenario. But so that would mean that like he would be never in my life. That means that there's still a possibility <laughs> that he could break through in some other show, in some other character, because he's still True. an actor in this. In the second one. True, I've seen him in Sylvie's Love. I watched him in that. He still is acting, and he could potentially break through. He could potentially be in another Shondaland thing. And yeah. I, so I will say that in the the Jeremy Renner version. Simon Bassett, uh-huh. you know, obviously a little bit different. I think Jeremy Renner could pull off a brooding kind of character, but I, I don't think he can do it. I don't, That's very I don't kind think of you. he can do an English accent that well. <laughs> but I will say that the I... so the, the acting is like okay, like it's not too distracting. It's it's <laughs> it's Jeremy Renner, but it's not too distracting. I disagree. <laughs> like, I cannot see him as anything but Jeremy Renner. For the most part, people are like, you know what? It's fine. It's a weird choice, but whatever. The story's still good. It still has kind of the same reception because it's it, everything else is so good, right? Everything else is the same. Right. Except the one big difference Gosh. is in the, that wedding night scene. He actually delivers yeah. that line, Scooboo, bada do I burn for you. Jism <laughs> <laughs> don't have a name. <laughs> This is the man. This is the actor. 
who doesn't he have his own app? He does. Or didn't he try to have his own app or something? Or was like social media? He did have or something? his own app. There is a podcast called The Runner Files that is so funny that yeah, yeah you gotta listen now. to it. They kind of tell the whole story of the app and Jeremy Renner, and it's so fascinating. <laughs> like Jer- Jeremy Renner is a fascinating person. <sighs> yeah, I yeah, I mean, granted, sure, I'll give him that. But yeah, so so those are your choices. Okay, <clears throat> so my choices. Okay, so I just, I mean, he's a real like he's like a real life Nigel Burbrook. Is like as <laughs> wow. far as I'm concerned. Ouch. Like I yeah I like don't like this dude. <laughs> Like his, I don't like his face. I don't like his voice. I can't even think of a show that he's in that I was like, yeah, okay. Um, he did. He did okay in the Marvel movies. Is he in Mar? Yeah, see, I'm yeah, not a Marvel. He, like, he I, plays I, I Hawkeye. Know, I haven't really watched. <laughs> he can he can oh, shoot a bow okay, and arrow okay. real good. <laughs> that's his. That's his superpower. Like, is he can? I, mean, I that's yeah, dumb. Yeah. Like Jeremy Renner. So yeah, I think I have to go with the first one. I think I have to go with because the thing is, here's the the core of my motivation. Is Reggae Jean Page A in my life at all? Like have I do I know of his existence? Okay, yes. In the first one, yes. B, is he happy? Mm-hmm. Is he happy? And if he's happy doing this D D stuff or whatever, I'm happy. So you would like, con- you would condemn him. Like you would condemn him person. too. To not, to not having... Well, I'm not condemning him. Because in this universe, that's his choice. Shondaland tried to get him to come on back, come on back, come on back. But can you imagine now that we have... Now that the toothpaste is out of the tube and we know what Reggae Jean Page looks and acts and presents like in Regency period mm-hmm. dress, can you imagine having that takeaway? <laughs> like, I can't. That's the only thing that's been keeping me going. Uh, like, because Christmas Day, I got to see this beautiful man in, like, pantaloons and, like, a whatever uh, duster. That has kept me going to where we are now Fair. in 2021. Fair. I don't want to give that up. I'm not ready okay. to give that up. All right. <laughs> so I will take that one perfect season and I will hold on to it. I'm going to put it in my pocket and I'm going to think about it. <laughs> When times are tough, and just hope the best for him, and then I will never have to think of Jeremy Renner ever again. <laughs> that is my prize. <laughs> wow. See, I, I would, I, in my own personal opinion, I would take the um, yeah. second option. I would. You would. It's because wow. okay. I, I fully believe that Reggie John Page would break out in another thing. I definitely think I, so. I think yeah. he would, and I just want him. As I've had to deal with Jeremy Renner's acting before, and I'm sure I'm gonna have to. Yeah, I think you've got more of a Jeremy Renner cast. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm used <laughs> to it a little bit. <laughs> I just like, I don't want him to break the skin for me. Yeah, I know. There. I know. We just had a whole conversation about how trauma isn't character, but well. It's all contextual, though. You know, you never know. Sometimes you got to build your Renner tolerance up a little bit. And then it's not that bad of an option, (laughs) you know? Yeah. No, it's not. Except for that one line. (laughs) It's not. (laughs) Like, it it really, that line really threw it off, but he insisted that that's how he delivered the line. Mm, I believe that. I believe (laughs) that Jeremy Renner would do that. Knowing next to nothing about this man. Uh, yeah. And it's funny because you and I have never had a conversation, I don't think, about no. Jeremy Renner before. So the fact that you, like, seem to unlock 
<laughs> one of like because i i like way more things than yeah. i dislike things so the fact that you unlocked someone who brings <laughs> out such a, a reaction unfounded yeah. rage in me yeah kudos <laughs> to you <laughs> uh, yeah so i mean yeah that's episode two yay a thousand expressions of gratitude for joining us on this episode dear listeners and thank you next to filmmaker, activist, and friend of the show, Kwame Phillips, for gracing us each episode with his ducal vocalism. You can check out more of his work at KwamePhillips.com. That's K-W-A-M-E-P-H-I-L-L-I-P-S.com. And you can reach out to us via Twitter, Instagram, and email at TontalkPod. That's T-O-N-T-A-L-K-P-O-D at gmail.com and social media. Until next time. XOXO, Aaron and Elf.